Please take your scripture and open with me to Genesis chapter 46. As you're turning there, I just want to uh, thank, I'm really kind of in awe at how gifted uh, you all are. Uh, as I was just being led under, under what Mike was doing and, and listening to the music, and just thinking about how God has gifted this church, uh, he's gifted us greatly. And I just want to thank you all for sharing your gifts here. Uh, I'm just blessed by it. Thank you. Lord of the Rings. Since I just spent uh, 15 hours watching them last month, it's, there's probably going to be several of these coming, just be forewarned. In the first uh, book of that series, when Frodo and Sam Gamgee are on, just starting on their journey, there's a point at which Sam just stops walking, if you remember this, and Frodo continues to walk and sees that Sam isn't beside him and turns around and, and asks Sam why he's just standing there. Why are you just standing there, Sam? And Sam says this, this is it. If I take one more step, I'll be the furthest away from home that I've ever been. What Sam is expressing there is that passing that particular spot is a break from his past. And he's stepping into the unknown. That's kind of where we are in the text today here with Jacob. Joseph has sent wagons and food back up from Egypt to bring his family down. And Jacob has gathered his family and is on his way down to Egypt. And he travels south all the way to Beersheba. And like Sam, he stops. He stops at Beersheba. It's as if he's saying, if I take one more step, I'll be the furthest away from home I've ever been. One more step, and I'll be leaving the land, the promised land. One more step, and he'll be going into the unknown. So he stops. Have you ever had a Beersheba moment like that in your own life? A moment when you're making a decision to go in a direction that is unknown. A moment when it looks like you might be making a decision that actually moves you further away from God than closer. Or a moment when you're not sure you should keep going. Or even a moment when it, when it might look like, if I go forward, it sure looks like disobedience. If you've had those, you know precisely at those times you need to look to God. And more precisely, you have to look to God's promises. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. Look with me at chapter 46 in God's word, starting in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. 
And God spoke to Israel in visions of that night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob sent out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all this his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these were the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shoal, the sons of the Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yab, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Paddan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Together his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Hagi, Sunni, Esbon, Eri, Aradi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imnah, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, and Sarah, the sister. And the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. And the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Benjamin in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Nephtali, Zalil, Guni, Jezer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Billah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and she bore them to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, who were his sons, his own descendants, not including Jacob's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. 
Now, Beersheba, where Jacob is when he gets this vision, is a critical location in the patriarchs' lives. If you remember, is where Abraham lived for a while. It's where he planted a tamarisk tree. It's where he left from to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. It's where Isaac lived, and he settled there for a short time as well. He dug wells there, if you remember. He made a treaty with King Abimelech there. He built an altar there, and that's where the Lord appeared to Isaac. And Beersheba is where Jacob, and, and Jacob knew Beersheba well. That's where he grew up. That's where he deceived his brother. That's where he deceived his father. That's where he fled from to go to live with his uncle Laban. And here we are 100 years later, 100 years later, and Jacob is passing through Beersheba on his way to Egypt. And in my mind wandered, and I said, it's not scriptural, but here he is going through his homeland, and maybe he looked off to the right, and he saw Isaac's broken down altar. I don't know. Maybe not, but maybe. And he said, wait, I've got to stop. And he decides to do what his father had done 130 years previous, seek the Lord. If I go one more step, I'm stepping into the unknown. Should I go forward? And the way he sought the Lord was to sacrifice to him. So he does. And the Lord answers in a form of a vision we see here and encourages him to go. The Lord encourages him to go. Look at verse 3. It says right there, I'm the God, God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. And God gives him confidence on what he is doing is right by leaving. By leaving the promised land, Jacob is fulfilling God's promise. By leaving the promised land, Jacob is fulfilling a God's promise. And that's where I want us to camp for a second, the fulfillment of God's promises here. God's word tends to build on the promises of God. In other words, he gives a promise and then he builds on it. And he builds on it. We see that with the messianic promise throughout scripture, don't we? We have the first one there in Genesis 3. Seed of a woman, okay, from half the population of the United, of, of the United States, of the world, the Messiah is going to come through. But then it gets more specific, doesn't it? Chapter 12, no? through Abraham. We'll see in chapter 49, through Judah. As we take our, our pilgrimage through Scripture, we see that it's through King David, that it's in a specific region this Messiah will be born of Galilee, in a specific city in that region, Bethlehem, from a specific virgin, Mary. It just keeps getting more specific. He builds on those promises. And that's what Yahweh is doing right here back in Genesis 15. Verses 13 and 14, the Lord told Abraham this, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land 
and not that was not theirs and be servants there. Abraham had no way of knowing what land that was. He had no way of knowing what where there was, but here we get to find out there is Egypt. He's telling us here. He's building on his promise. And what Yahweh is showing him is he is fulfilling his promise. He's showing Jacob he's fulfilling his promise. And we gain confidence when we are at those moments. And perhaps you have, and I hope you have, because this is how you listen to sermons well, I hope you have a moment or some moments in mind, or maybe a moment that is in your life right now, a Beersheba moment, where you're not sure. It's stepping into the unknown. Am I being disobedient if I go in this direction? If I make this decision? If I, if I move away? If I change jobs? If I... And what we're learning here is at those moments, you have to seek God through his promises. How he has fulfilled them over and over and over again. Promises of God are largely overlooked. They've, they've been largely overlooked in my life, maybe not yours. That's not where I have concentrated a lot of my efforts. Maybe it has been in your life, and praise God for that. One of the things I'm learning right now is to utilize these promises of God in my life. When I'm questioning how God loves me. Have you ever had that? God, do you love me? I look to Psalm 2, verse 7. that says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He has said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And I repent and I look to that promise. When I doubt that God can forgive me once again for the same sin, I repent of my unbelief and I look to the promises of God found in 1 John that he is faithful and just and forgive my sin. I look to the Psalms and he tells me he's going to separate my sin as far as the east is from the west. I look to Isaiah that says he'll take that that is bloody and make it as white as snow. When I'm struggling in my flesh, I repent of my unbelief and I look to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Or I look to Ezekiel 36 that promises that God has given me a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Or when I'm struggling with the pace of my holiness, the pace of your sanctification, you ever struggle with that? Why aren't these idols dying in my life? Why do I keep going back to that same vomit sin? I need to recollect that the promise told me in Philippians is that he who began a good work in me will complete it. And trust that God always finishes what he starts. When I'm emotionally and spiritually spent, anyone? 
Ever experienced that? I repent, and I think the promise that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I read Isaiah chapter 40, that's a promise there. And trust that Christ will carry me. You see, the fulfilled promises of God are critical to my and your confidence to go forward. That's exactly where Jacob is. He's asking, should I go forward? I know what happened to my grandfather in Egypt. He told me many times around the campfire. And look to the sweet promise that God reminds him of at that time. I go down to Egypt. I'll be with you. Go. One of my favorite commentators, A.W. Pink, wrote, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of God's promises. The permanence of God's character, that God does not change, guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. It's because of who God is that we can rely on this. That's exactly what Scripture is telling them in Numbers chapter 23. God is not human that he should lie. A human being that he should change his mind does not he speak and then act. Does he not promise and then fulfill? He's reminding the, those wandering around in the wilderness as we wander around in the wilderness that God's promises are sure. We gain confidence to move forward by clinging to the character of God because he fulfills his promises. Consider just a moment the original audience that is hearing this chapter 46, what we call chapter 46 now. You have to remember that Moses was given the first five books in the wilderness, right? So they're in the wilderness. Imagine how the original audience heard this when Moses preached it. Look at verse 4. Imagine them. They've just come out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai or just departing Mount Sinai. And they hear this. I myself, this is God speaking, will go down to you into Egypt and I will also bring you up again. They've just experienced that. They're living that promise, the fulfillment of that promise. Think of how they must have felt. Think of what this must have done to them, given them faith, right? Given them trust, belief in this God that they were actually seeing a cloud of, giving them courage to to go on into the unknown. They were in the wilderness. They They were just being led by this pillar of cloud and fire. Where are we going? Well, I don't know, but he, he just fulfilled a huge promise, and so I'm following. Someone anonymously wrote, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. Lean on God's promises. Know God's promises. Search out the scriptures for God's promises so that you can when you are faithless, repent and fill that vacuum with God's promise. 
That's how we're meant to grow, brothers and sisters. By God's promises. But there are two sticking points when we talk about God's promises. The first is, and we see it here, the pace of God's promises. We see it here. It's the pace of God's promises. I intentionally read that long list of names. And everybody is at some point in that reading going, Can't, couldn't you have just gone from verse 8 to verse 26 and just say, get it? There's a lot of names there. I think we're meant to read that so that, so that we understand something. Verse 27 lets us know that there are 70 people who went down into Egypt, 70 in all. 70. Only 70. That's an important only. 200 years have elapsed, a little more than, since Abraham was called out of Ur. And do you remember the call of Abraham? Do you remember that in in chapter 12? He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the place where I will show you and what? I will make you a great nation. 200, about 15 years later, 70. Now that's, that's about how long this country has been a country. And there's only 70. How would we feel if our founding fathers said we're going to be a great nation and here we are in 2018 and there's 313 of us? Does not sound like a great nation to me. I mean, think of Jacob. His father had told him stories of when God appeared to him back in chapter 26 and said, I'll make you as numerous as the stars in heaven. And here we are, 100 years later, 70. That doesn't sound like a constellation to me. That's the kind of pace that prompts a lot of questions, doesn't it? Has God forgotten his promise? Can I trust God's promises? Doubt. Did I hear God correctly? Questioning yourself. Did I miss something along the way? Did I take, you know, was I supposed to go left at that fork instead of right? In other words, it starts making us question, am I... In God's will. Have you ever said that to yourself? Why aren't you doing this, God? Anybody ever been in an anger position with God? And even a crisis of faith you can even bring you to a crisis of faith. Are you even there? Because when God's promises are not fulfilled on our timetable... Those are the types of questions that start to come out of our hearts. The great New England preacher, Phillips Brooks, was noted for his poise. Philip Brooks was noted for his poise. One day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor and asked him what the the matter was, and this was his reply. The trouble is that I'm in a hurry and God isn't. That's another way we react to God's pace when it's not 
our own pace, isn't it? Frustration. Impatience. Why are you taking so long? It's an article in the Boston Globe that talked about our impatience as a society is growing. Our impatience as a society. And it's, it's really born on a lot of things, on the backs of a lot of things, like next day service. I just ordered two books, and I needed them the next day. And I could click a button, and they were here the next day. Smartphones eliminate waiting for a cab, waiting for a table at a restaurant. Even our pace on the Internet is shrinking. Think about it. I remember working in, as a consultant 20 years ago, a little bit more, and I would wait a couple minutes for a page on the web to load. I would start it loading, go and do something, and come back. Do you know what they think now is the maximum time people will wait for a page to load before leaving? Two seconds. Two seconds. Imagine what that is building into us as we live in this culture of instantaneousness. Imagine what it's doing spiritually to us as we're on God's timetable and not our own. Haven't you felt that way, impatience in regards to the pace of God's promises sometimes? Frustrated over the pace of your sanctification? Frustrated over the pace of God giving you the desires of your heart? Psalm 37.4 tells us that, that he will. Okay, God, where are these deep desires being fulfilled of, I don't know, spouse or family or kids or, or fulfillment? I know I've gotten frustrated over the pace of, of church growth. More specifically, over the pace of, of, of conversions. I was so overjoyed last week that somebody prayed for us to see conversions of people. Actual conversions. Are you frustrated over the pace? Then I think of how some missionaries must have felt in the great missionary movement of the last century. Some of the names that, that our household names know, William Carey labored seven years in India before a convert. Actually, it was the same roughly amount of time in Burma that Adoniram Judson labored before one conversion. Missionaries in New Zealand, when they went there, it took nine years before there was one convert. In Western Africa, it was 14 years in Tahiti, 16 years. Now I go, okay, thank you for context. All these frustrations, though, remind us that the God who created the speed of light also created glacier movement. The God who created the cheetah created the sloth. The God who justifies instantaneously sanctifies over the rest of your life. 
My mother used to quote Plutarch to me when I became impatient. How frustrating would it be to hear this when you're nine years old? (laughs) Though the mills of the gods grind slowly, they grind exceedingly fine. The pace of God's promises might seem slow. But he's just not on our schedule. He's just not on our schedule. That's what Peter was trying to communicate when he wrote his second letter. And he said, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He is pressing this in on the hearts of these people he's writing to. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Live in context spiritually. God's promises are rock solid, but they're just not on our timetable. Jacob will become as numerous as the stars, just not in Abraham's lifetime or Isaac's lifetime or Jacob's lifetime. Isaiah picked up on this theme when he wrote the last thing The least of you will become a thousand, and the tiniest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Isn't that a great line? In its time, I will do this swiftly. We have to wait for God and live our lives in the context that is God's timing. The second sticking point I see in this for us is having faith in God's unseen promises. Having faith in God's unseen promises. We we kick against the goads in one way of the fulfillment of God's promises in the pace, and and the other one is that we don't see. It's not visual. If you look at chapter uh, verse four, you see this. It says, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down into Egypt, for there I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you out again. God is telling Jacob that he's going to go down with him to Egypt. This is the great promise that we see throughout Scripture of God's presence with you. This is a huge promise in Scripture. It's all over the place. But I want us to understand that this is the last vision that God's people will have of God until Moses in the burning bush. It's 400 years. We're not told in Scripture a lot about those years. But this is the last time it's written in Scripture. Yahweh does not appear to anybody as best we know of for 400 years. That's twice as long as this nation's been a nation. This represents the struggle of unseen promises. I'll go down with you, then nothing. No visions, no dreams, no audible voice. 
Joe Briscoe writes in, in the book, In Her Father's Arms, of this struggle in her own life. She says, I remember a time when I was waiting for the soon to become now. Isn't that a great, wonderful, poetic way of saying it? She was waiting for the soon to become now. She said, I went down to a lake where we lived and I sat there very early in the morning praying, pleading with God that my soon would become now. God, I cannot see you working, she said. What about all these prayers that people are praying? This is a terrible situation. What are you doing about it? And God said to me, are there any fish in the lake? I looked at the lake, which was like glass, and she said, sure, of course there are fish there. How do you know, God said. Do you have to see fish jump to believe they're there, Jill? She writes, I remember sitting there for a long time until I could say to God, if I never see a fish jump, I will believe they're there and active, even if I never see it. That's what God asks us, how he asks us to live when he says, I am with you. That's, That's what he's asking of us. You're not going to see him. You're not going to see him. He's asking you to believe that there are fish there even though you don't see it. Throughout scripture, God's promises to be with his people is one of the most consistent promises in scripture. Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 33:14, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Joshua 1:5, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was with a man this week who is a new Christian, and he is struggling with loneliness. He is struggling. And at one point, I just opened the scripture up to to a verse that I know he had heard before, Psalm 23, verse 4. And I read this to him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I am with you. And I explained to him that that is a promise that you have to believe by faith. Because you won't see. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We will never see God, yet he is always there. Always there. But we are many times like a young woman that was married to a man in Chicago. They had a good marriage for the first three years and then, and then she got sick. And the sickness went to her mind, and she became insane. She didn't even recognize her husband anymore. So the husband took her and left Chicago and moved to the suburbs and built her a house, determined that he would nurse this woman back to health. After several years, the family physician suggested that taking the wife back to her home might trigger her memory might bring her back. So he traveled back down to Kentucky where she, she grew up 
And hand in hand, it said, he said, he walked his wife through her home of her youth. After several days, nothing happened. So defeated and discouraged, he put his wife back in the car and they headed back to Chicago. When they got close to the house, he looked over and discovered that his wife had fallen asleep. And he recalled that this is the first deep sleep that he had seen in his wife in years. When he got to the house, he carried her inside and put her in bed and then just sat by her and watched her that night. Near dawn, the young woman awoke and she saw her husband sitting there. And she looked up and she said, it seems like I've been on a long journey. Where have you been? And the man, speaking out of months and years of patient watching and waiting, said, my love, I've been here all the time. That's how God is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And I pray, Lord, that we will use those to be able to go forward into the unknown. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.